So obviously, good morning. He is risen. Amen? He is risen. Yes. Uh, it's no mistake last week, if you've been following along in the book of Revelation, we ended off in Revelation 2.8, where Jesus is speaking to a suffering church, and he says to them, uh, basically identifies who he is. He says to them, I am the first and the last who died and came to life. And I'm going to pivot off that this morning because we are here to focus on Jesus Christ, the first and the last who died and came to life. And so this morning, we're going to spend some time in the scriptures together focusing on the implications of our Savior's resurrection. I want to begin by just looking at that statement, looking at Jesus' statement about himself there in Revelation 2.8, and in doing so, um, as we go through and just kind of pick apart three different aspects of that verse, I'm praying that uh, the Lord would be made bigger in your minds, that uh, who he is would be made bigger, and therefore his, uh, who he is, his death, and his resurrection would, would just be magnified in this place and in our hearts. And our celebration and our worship of him would actually match what he declares about himself. Um, Revelation 2.8, really, there's three parts there. He says Jesus is the first and the last. He died, and he's alive. And those are the three things I want to focus on this morning, that he is the first and the last, he died, and that he came to life. And so uh, this is going to be a shorter message than normal, and all the saints of the Lord said amen. Um, and I might lose my place, who knows. Um, but the, the, the first aspect of, of, of our Lord that comes to us there at the end of verse 8, of Revelation 2, just pivoting off of last week, I really didn't get to go into depth on this stuff, and I think it's really important. Um, but the, is, is he calls himself, first of all, the first and the last. I did talk about this a little bit last week, but he's the first and the last. And we saw this past Sunday, as we looked at the very verse, various verses in Isaiah, that the first and the last is a title for God. Jesus, in Revelation 2.8, equates himself with God. He, he says, I am the first and the last. And if you remember from last week, Isaiah 44.6, that's just one of the verses we went over. It says, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. I'm the last. And besides me, there is no God. It's a title for God. He is the first and the last. And Jesus in Revelation 2.8 starts out by saying, writing to this church, he says, I am the first and the last. I am God. Jesus, the first and the last, he, and, and this, this title speaks of his deity. It speaks of his eternality, that Jesus existed before creation. Do you remember what you were like before you were born? No. You had a point in time in which you came into creation, and you'll have a point in time in which you will exit creation. You'll be very aware of it then, uh, of, of your future. But Jesus... Um, Jesus didn't have a beginning. He did not have an end. He is the beginning. He is the first. He is the last. He always was. He always, uh, he always will be. He, he, he's eternal. And that's the idea there of that title of the first and the last. Jesus existed before the creation of the world. He is the beginning of all things. And actually, he declares himself to be the creator of all things. Well, Paul declares him that. And he, he is the creator of all things. And yet we read in John 1.14... And this is kind of more of a Christmas message than an Easter message. But yet we read in John 1.14 that the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, who existed before time began, he became a man. He, became, he put on flesh. That is the eternal Son of God, the Word, as John calls him there in chapter 1 of John. The Word was sent to us 
into his creation by the Father, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John says of Jesus, as God becomes flesh, he says, and we have seen his glory. John says, I saw God. I saw Jesus Christ. We've seen him. He's talking about the disciples and all who were around that time. He says, we've seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. And what did that glory look like? Full of grace and truth. God entering into humanity full of grace and truth. And boy, if there's one thing that humanity lacks right now, it is grace and truth. Jesus Christ comes into this world. He's full of grace and he's full of truth. The first and the last became a man. And John says, we saw him. We saw the glory of the Son, full of grace and truth. And John, later on, at the end of his book, he's still talking about how Jesus is God all the way through it. We remember we went through this as a church. But in John 17, 7, he's recording Jesus' prayer. And Jesus is speaking to the Father. And he says there, he talks about his glory. The glory that Jesus says he shared from before the creation of the world. He shared with the Father from before the creation of the world. Jesus was face to face with the Father from before the creation of the world. They shared in their glory. And then Jesus became flesh. And they saw is basically the glory clothed in flesh, and it was, it was full of grace and truth. And John is just blown away when he realizes who it is who's been walking around him this whole time, God in the flesh. And for those of you who are doubters, Jesus not only came, he did things that no one does. He raised people from the dead. He performed miracles. It was witnessed by tons of people. He, he resurrected from the dead, 500 witnesses. It goes on and on. He had power over demons and natural things. And this is not, it changed the world. And so John's just blown away that the first and the last was among us. To see Jesus was to see the Father. Colossians 1 is another kind of area of Scripture that speaks about this. Um, where Paul writes concerning Jesus, beginning in the verse 15. It says of Jesus in Colossians 1, 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, who is spirit, right? He says he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Hebrews 1, verse 3 echoes this, and he says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his word. God, the Son, entered time and space and clothed himself in humanity. And Paul continues in Colossians 1.15. He calls Jesus the firstborn over all creation. Now, what, we, what, what that will happen here is that Jehovah's Witnesses and others who deny the Jesus, deity of Jesus Christ will use this and say, see, he's the first to be created. No, that's not what he's talking about. This is a Jewish picture here. And the idea is that the firstborn had the rights of the father. In other words, in the father's absence, the firstborn son had all authority over all the household. That's what it's talking about. It's not talking about uh, who they are. It's not talking about that Jesus was the first created. It's saying that he is the firstborn over on creation. He is ranking over all creation. And, that, and it goes on to talk about this. I'm not going to do a whole big uh, deal on Colossians here. But the picture then is that Jesus is the firstborn. He was the first of, he was the first and the last. He was over creation. And we know that it's saying this because if you just keep reading verse 16, it says, why? For by him all things were created. That's why he's chief. 
That's why he's over creation, because he created everything. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, things seen and not seen. Invisible, visible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Listen, it doesn't make a difference what it is. Jesus was involved in creating it. All things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Listen, he is before all things. He's before all things. All things. He's before all things. We lose vocabulary trying to describe the magnificence of Jesus Christ. He's before everything you ever knew. Everything you've ever touched and experienced, thought, felt, he's before it all. All things were created by him and for him and through him. This is who he is, eternal son of God. And not only that, all things hold together by his power. The reason why your neutrons and electrons, and obviously I didn't pay attention in science, I was busy doing other things in high school, they don't fly apart. And this world doesn't just go into, you know, whatever it is. It's because he holds it together because he put it together in the first place. God spoke and said, and then it was so. What, how did he spoke? Through the word. The word put the world into existence. He holds you together. He holds everything together. And one day he will speak and it will all come apart. And it is the same Jesus, the first and the last, who says not only that he's the first and last, but secondly, that he died. And we know that he had to die. We know that, church. Why? Because he had to pay for sin. He had to pay for sin. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, describes mankind as spiritually dead. I know you've heard this before, but just bear with me. Every one of us have, are spiritually dead because we've sinned. I'm just going to read it for you quickly. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. He's talking to believers who have been changed, who have been born again. So what does dead trespasses and sins look like? It looks like the way the world looks. The way the world flows is the way of the world. It's not the way of God. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. In other words, Satan is behind that. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience and among whom you all once lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of your body. See, it's not about God's glory. It's about what you want. That's, that's, that's what's contrary to God's nature. It said, it's not his will be done. It's my will be done. And that's what this world is all about, me. Not me, but you, you, me. It's about the ego. And Paul says, it's among whom you used to do that stuff. And he says, in the mind, you did that stuff in the body, you did in the mind, and you were by nature children of wrath. In other words, God's wrath was on you like the rest of mankind. He says, that's who you were. We'll come back to what he says next. But mankind was spiritually dead. That's what he calls it, right? And under the judgment of God, Jesus died on the cross to reconcile those people to God. Who are those people? That's us. All of us. Correct answer, Miles. Sin has a price. And the price is death 
And not just physical death, but eternal separation from God for all eternity. That's, that's the consequence of our sin. And all have sinned and fallen short of the God, uh, of the glory of God. This is a price that no one can pay back. We all think we can pay it back before God by our good works and all this stuff. It is too much of a debt. If, you, if you, any of you had those debt calculators before, any of you made some really silly mistakes and then they have the debt calculators on your credit card, whatever it was, I've never done that. Um, but anyways, in looking at that, if theoretically, um, when you look at that, you, you kind of go, oh, well, this will be paid off when I'm 117 if I pay the minimum payment, right? Anybody seen that before, right? You feel the weight of that, like, I could never pay this off. God, there would have to be an act of God in order for this, this situation to change. We'll multiply that times a billion, times a billion. Like, we don't even understand what the concept of a trillion is right now. That's like, that's like a million dollars spent every day from the time Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. A million dollars a day, 365 days a year for 2,000 years. And by the way, that's only 800 billion. So that, just to give you the weight of a trillion, so our debt is like our national debt. You can't pay it back. Not going to happen, no matter what you do towards God. And by the way, there's a problem that the guilty can't pay back their guilt. They can't get, dig themselves out of the dit, ditch. Every man, woman, or child who ever lived has been under the curse awaiting judgment. But here's the cool thing. Jesus the innocent, sinless, pure Son of God, Jesus without sin, without debt, towards God, the one who created all things. He came and he died on a cross to pay that price through his death. On behalf of those who would turn from their sin and turn in faith and believe upon him. You see, you aren't out of the woods with God by all the good things you do. You're out because of the good thing he did. Just trusting in him and his death. Jesus died for sinners that through his death, we would be forgiven. And yet Jesus is, and, here, and here's the thing, God is just and God is love at the same time. God can't just love and forget the justice part. That goes against his nature. He can't be just just and forget the love part. That goes against his nature. Guess where the love and the justice of God met? On the cross in his son. God's just requirement that our sins must be paid. The penalty was painted in Jesus. And guess what? His love was also manifested. That those who would believe would be forgiven and go free. Amen. But Jesus' end was not the death on the cross. That's the beginning. Amen. Jesus said in Revelation 2 8, he said that he died and he came to life. He died and he came to life. He defeated death through the resurrection. All died because all have sinned, but Jesus died because he became sin for us. He took his sin upon himself, but death could not hold him. The first and the last rose from the grave on the third day. It says that the Father raised him. It says that the Spirit raised him. 
Jesus said, in three days I will raise myself up. God raised Jesus from the dead, promising that same victory over death to anyone who would believe upon him, including our sister Joe Shea, including you this morning, we as believers. Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, 19, listen to this carefully. He says, because I live you also will live. This is before he died. Jesus knew where he was going. He knew he was going to the cross. He knew he would be crucified. He knew he died. But he says, because I live, you also will live. Your end is not death. You will have life. Why? Because I am life. A couple of the verses that kind of point on that, because this is why we're here, the resurrection, right? Jesus' promise extends beyond his disciples to us. Because he lives, you also will live. Well, who's that? John 3.16 puts it like this. We all know this. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only son that whoever would believe upon him. There's There's what has to happen. Believe upon him would not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. Have eternal life. Again, John 11, Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus speaking to Martha. Uh, he has this conversation. Her brother's in the grave. He's been in there for four days. He's, he's, he's starting to stink in there. And uh, she just says, you know, hey, Jesus, if you had been here a little earlier, I, I know you could have done something. And Jesus said to her in verse 23 of, of John 11, says, your brother will rise again. And Martha just pulls out her theology book and she says to him, verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And that's what we all say. We see to, say to, you know, to our sister who passed away this morning and say, you know what? She will rise again on the last day. Amen. She will, her body will be, her spirit is with the Lord, but they will be reunited a new body. It will happen. It's going to be awesome. But Jesus turns to Martha, whose brother is in the, in the grave. Martha says, I know, I know that he's going to rise, resurrect again on the last day, right? And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. You're looking to an event. Look to the person. I am the resurrection. I am life. I am eternal life. I am the one who causes all these things to happen. It's me. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, your brother, yet shall he live. He'll live. Verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He's not talking about physical death there, is he? He's saying, though you live and you die, you'll live. And though you live, you're going to live. He's just talking about, I'm going to give you life. Do you believe this? That if I give you my life, you have life. It is eternal life. It does not end. Our definition of life is all messed up, isn't it? We think it's breathing in and out. We think we live our life, you know, we have the cycle, we go through four seasons, and then we physically die, and, you know, hey, we've, we've, we've lived our life. In one sense, you have, but you keep going, and you go to one place or the other. And either if you're dead now, you'll be definitely dead then, separated from God for all eternity. Life can begin now. Life begins by knowing Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, I will give you my life if you repent and believe that I died for your sin, that I rose again. 
Jesus said to her in a matter of words, I'm eternal life. I'm the first, I'm the last. I'm the author of life. If you have me, you have an unending life. Now, and even when you die physically, you still have life because you have me. Do you believe it? Is what he said to her. And that's the same question this morning. Do you have Jesus? Do you believe it? And that's what the church is supposed to be. Those who believe it. Amen? This is what we're here to celebrate this morning on this Resurrection Sunday. Because he lives, we also will live. Starting now. And I just want to focus on that more than the future this morning. Starting now. The moment that God regenerates us by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ and his resurrection resurrection from the dead. Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and destroy, but I I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. When? Oh, after you die. No, like now. And it doesn't end, it keeps going. Man, I run into so many people, and sometimes they're in the mirror. They don't have life. You forgot your source of life, bro. Talking to myself. Now life, not a weird life, but my life is in Him. He gave me eternal life. Starting now. This is the outward man is perishing as evidenced by my memory failure and the lack of being able to find out where I'm going. And, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. See, we've got something going on in Christ. See, in Christ, when you're regenerated, when you believe, the outward man still goes downhill. How many of you are praying, Lord Jesus, heal me? And he's like, no, you're going downhill. You need a new body. And sometimes he gives us grace and he restores us in the moment and all those things. Don't, don't get me wrong. Pray for it all you want. But there is a curve. <clears throat> you know? But the inward man has the opposite. It is being renewed day by day in the image of Christ Jesus. You keep growing. And what happens is you grow in the Lord. You, you realize, gosh, this body is weighing me down. I want to live for the Lord. Who, who will... Man, the body, this body of death that I have, not that, but there's a, there's a moaning and a longing and a yearning to be, to have the resurrection, the physical resurrection that matches the spiritual resurrection that God has given you. And He is going to bring us to that day. But until then, you have life, brothers and sisters. And He wants you to live now. He'll give power to your mortal body, so to speak. He'll empower us for the work He calls us to do. John 10, verse 37, 38, Jesus said concerning the spirit that that dwells in believers, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Let him get his life for me. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. When a believer comes to the Lord, they are filled with God's spirit. And that life begins to infect every area of your life. It begins to flow. You have life. It, it wells up and overflows. It renews day by day. It's like, it's just going. Abundant life. Life that doesn't die. It keeps on going beyond the grave. This life of Christ is in us. You know, yesterday we baptized Chloe. We almost died out there. 
<laughs> it was muddy, but it was awesome. But baptize, baptism symbolizes death and, and resurrection of Jesus, the old life that's gone away, the new life that is risen. Just as he died, we die, and just as he rose, we, we rise, both now and in the future. This past Wednesday, our brother Daniel just graduated the men's program at the Christian Aid Center. He came there hardened and bitter and just betrayed by a biker gang. And Man, but God in his abundant mercy revealed himself to Daniel. And he believed in the gospel. And man, that guy is changed. He exudes and overflows with the love of the Lord. Man, living waters flowing in that guy's life. Jesus changed him. Mark Canna, I'm going to point you out. I'm not going to give you the whole story. That guy was broken when I first saw him, out of his mind, broken on the steps of the CAC. And then he ran into Jesus Christ who filled his life and changed him. Man, this guy's just loves the Lord. I'm not going to embarrass him in front of everybody. But that's the story. Now Jesus gives us life. He changes. He makes dead people live. That's the church. We're people who have been raised from the dead of this world. Amen. 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 Oh, church. Whatever the lyrics are, I can't remember. Christ is risen from the dead. Amen. Yes. Don't say it to me. It's like, I know, we're getting a little charismatic. Lord forbid there be a little bit of exuberance. <laughs> but when the Lord's in you, you have his life. Amen. And I would encourage some of us that are a little sour lately. Return to our first love. Return to the life. Amen? Let soak in the water. Put your roots in the stream. Let his life just rejuvenate you. Let him take you by still waters. Let him take you by the green pastures. Let him restore your soul. Just let his life flow in you. Because he lives, you will live also. And we have that sure hope in our physical resurrection. But this morning, I just wanted to celebrate with you the spiritual resurrection from being spiritually dead that Jesus has given to those who believe right now. Finishing off Ephesians 2, well, we know it said, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And quite often I emphasize that, right? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. We know what death is like when Jesus shows us it. It's like, ugh, death. But skip to verse 4, it says, but God being rich in mercy. Mercy to who? To dead rebels. But God being rich in mercy. You want to know what God is rich in? Mercy. You know what we need God to be rich in? <laughs> mercy. But God being rich in mercy because of his what? His little love with which he loved us. How much love? Great love. You can tell Paul is trying to grab eternal concepts and trying to pull them in our vernacular. Great mercy. It's, it's, it's a first and the last kind of mercy. We, we, we don't even understand it. A love that is so great, it's beyond us. Because of that kind of love, because of that kind of mercy, an eternal mercy, an eternal love. 
with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he what? Made us alive together with Christ. You're resurrected in him. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him. Have we been raised up with him yet? Technically, we have. (laughs) We are in Christ Jesus. Where is Christ Jesus? Seated at the right hand of the Father. Where is our home? Where is our heart? Where is our treasure? Who are we longing for? Him. And raised us up with Him and seated us in Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And you can read Ephesians to find out all those riches we have in Him. Jesus said in John 14, 19, Because I live, you also will live. Both now and then, church. Both now and then. Amen? And the rest of Ephesians 2, just for fun, just just verse 7, says, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You want to know what's happening right now for Joshe? You want to know what's happening for the future resurrection? Jesus Christ made her alive then. He who makes us alive now. Why? Because he's got a plan beyond this, what we call life. What is it? What's his plan for you in the future when you die? To put you in the mail room? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's what awaits you. Immeasurable. We try to like, you know, it's trillion dollars to some kind of exponent. We can't even fathom the grace and the riches that are in Christ Jesus. And that's why I wanted to share that, this this morning, that the eternal God in all that He is came down and died and rose again, and He's giving you what He had from the Father from the beginning, that you would be with Him forever and ever and ever. He's alive. Are you? He's risen, Amen.